0: Brian Noonan on 720 WGN. Yeah, we're on close to start. I guess only an hour late. That's not too bad. Hey, the White Sox won today. Big, big win in New York. Uh, that's it. World Series. Cody, I'm jumping. Oh man, I'm getting over anxious early. Whoa, this is it. Yep, we take two out. Of, uh, take two out of three from the Yankees. We're going to the World Series. Now you're gonna come back and say, hey, Brian, it was a depleted Yankees roster, and I'll say, shut up. Doesn't matter. It's April. It's snowing in Chicago. Got my Christmas decorations up today before the snow came. That's good news because I don't want to have to put them up in the snow. You know, that's insane. Uh, so, yeah, here we are. Good good to have you with us. It's uh, We have a big show planned for you today. Uh, always more fun when you are involved. 312-981-7200. That's the phone number. That is also the text number. That is not how you get a hold of us on social media. You would need to go to Facebook or Twitter and type in Brian Noonan Show. Then you have access to us on those two channels as well. So a lot of ways to get involved. When you do call in, you'll be talking to Cody. Oh, I'm so excited about this now. golf. He's the executive producer, misguided as he is from Rockford, Illinois. If you're nice to him, you Get to me. That's how it works. This morning, I get up, I flip on the television as I'm uh, getting the coffee ready, and I hear, "Oh, don't worry. Any snow that falls is going to melt immediately." And then I look out the window, and it's coming down like it's the middle of November, so or December, or pick your wintry month when it's supposed to be snowing, not April fifteenth. All right. Well, we're going to talk about that. We're all going to, also going to talk about Illinois passed a new home alone law. So we'll uh, get into that a little bit, and. Harvard professor and former Obama administration staffer Cass Sunstein will join us. He has a new book, How Change Happens. It is fascinating how social change happens, how political change can happen. What What is it that spurs change, and why are these patterns uh, repeated time and time again? So we'll get into that and uh, talk a lot about change. And then, because, oh my goodness... Star Wars fans from around the world were in Chicago today. They may still be lurking around in their uh, X-wing fighters and their uh, tauntauns. As they, this is perfect weather for the tauntauns, right? Right, walk them right down Michigan Avenue or right down Lakeshore Drive. Cut them up and live inside them. Probably a cheaper rent along the lake than anything you're going to find inside a tauntaun. So the Star Wars celebration has been happening all weekend, and we are going to talk to the cast of the Cantina cast. It's a Podcast, a very well-known Star Wars podcast. They're going to come in, tell us all about what happened this weekend. There's a new trailer out for a Star Wars Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, which I saw I sound like I know a lot about it. That's the extent of my knowledge. I know there's a woman with a lightsaber, and then she's chased by a ship, and I think there's a robot. And Billy Dee Williams is there. I don't think he's selling Colt 45 malt liquor. I believe he is still Lando Calrissian. That's all I know about the trailer. We'll find out. It was a huge event. If you have friends. Who are into it, you saw them all over social media. People that I didn't even know were uh, Star Wars fans were at this thing this weekend, and they were going crazy. So Because some of the cast was there, there was a huge panel. Uh, So we'll find out all about the Star Wars universe after 6 o'clock. We'll also talk about Game of Thrones and... uh, if you're looking for it to be a happy ending, what that might mean. And if you're looking for it to be an unhappy ending, what that might mean. The psychological and social implications of the end of Game of Thrones. So a lot to get to. This is, this is a spellbinding show. Now, you're not, a, you're not enough of a Star Wars fan to have been at McCormick Place this weekend?
1: No. no,
0: <laughs> Tickets were steep.
1: Were they really? Like, one friend told me that a five-day pass was several hundred dollars.
0: Really? I don't know if that's true. Yeah, we'll wait, find five out. 5 days? So it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday?
1: Yeah, Monday. It started last Monday. It goes no, no, tomorrow No, 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 it's too? Thursday through Monday. I believe it goes tomorrow.
0: Oh, that's excessive. It's, it's a lot of Star that Wars. That's a lot of Star Wars. It's a it, lot it, of Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. To yeah. take it to I can, okay, so you you know, you do it for the weekend, okay? But who carries it over onto a Monday? I'm a Star Trek guy anyway. Yeah. I'm I'm a Star is Born guy. Yeah,
1: April 11th to 15th in Chicago, Star Wars Celebration. Really? Yeah.
0: That just, well, we'll find out if there's that much, if there's five days worth of stuff. You know, I saw somebody interviewing uh, Chewbacca, the actor who plays Chewbacca on uh, the news the other night, and he was doing his Chewbacca voice. And Debbie looks at me and with all sincerity says, oh, is that Chewbacca? And I wanted to put her out. I I almost said you, you have to leave, you can't. No, this is just some guy on the news doing the Chewbacca voice. He's not actually Chewbacca. She was serious. That's what bothers me. The woman has a master's degree. She's getting her second. She, she she's you know she's very fairly intelligent. Is that Chewbacca? The whole place is freezing. I'm getting texts mocking me. 84 and breezy in Bradenton, Florida. Man. And then I see uh, our good friend Stephen Johnny posting pictures of their home in uh, Panama City Beach where it's sunny and warm. Eh, whatever.
2: It's- Did you see that video from the Masters? They've got rhododendrons just
1: blooming
0: in oh, Georgia. It just it's just ridiculous. The rhododendrons are blooming, Tiger is blooming. He's back. Oh, who counted Tiger Woods out, everybody? Everybody Pretty but much. Tiger. He was the only one who believed that he would come back. And even he, I think it was last year, a couple of years he said he wasn't going to be golfing again. He was in such bad shape from all the surgeries. I think eight combined back and uh, knee surgeries. Uh, over the course of his career, and uh, now he comes back and he wins the Masters again the first time since 2005. So Tiger Woods back. Sunk a little. It was funny watching the the final putt. It was short. It couldn't have been more than Roger will know when he comes in. He'll know exactly. It was 17.3 inches. It looked much. It was very short putt. And, uh, but, man, he, he lined it up. You know, you or I, we're going to walk up to the green. We see a putt like that. We're just going to, like, one foot kind of try to tap it in. No, this was for all the marbles. He took all his time and drained it, and uh, there you go. So, Tiger, that's golf, Cody. I don't know if you realize what the Masters is. I
1: used to play golf. Did
0: you really? Yeah, when I was little. Wow. I took golf lessons when I was a kid. How'd you do?
1: Not great, not great. bad, not terrible.
0: Not great, not bad, not terrible. Yeah. So uh, give us the what it, What you were. No. Okay, so you weren't great. Right. You weren't bad. You weren't terrible. Mm-hmm. Were you good? Were you average? Were you passable? Were you a complete embarrassment? I would say Were you a between... spaz.
1: <laughs> I would say between average and good,
0: with a side of dashing. Wow, I would. Uh, I like most uh, duffers would have two or three really good shots every game, enough to make me go, oh, I could play this game. Golf is. I, I know I'm going to offend uh, all the golfers, and there are millions. But I don't. I mean, I get it. I just was never good at it, and I didn't have the wherewithal to. It's a. It, it's not a game for uh, you got to have some cash to golf and you got to have a lot of time. You know, you'd be surprised. You, you can
1: you can play around at nine holes, 18 holes. Yeah, some, that's true. Some, some of
0: the public courses or the forest preserve courses. That's true. Yeah, it's it's just it's very time consuming and you have to really be dedicated. Yeah. And I think it's something where there's some people who could probably teach themselves. I think it's something where you really need a couple of lessons to to g- keep getting better.
1: Yeah, yeah. the form is very... I mean, the
0: form is the most important part. It's
1: not like other sports where... No,
0: one one fraction of a twist of your wrist and suddenly your game is garbage. Yeah. And uh, that's... Yeah. So, you know, I know it's probably... In this business, it doesn't matter. In some businesses, you have to know how to golf. One of my brothers uh, golfs all the time because... It's his business, so he took lessons and he practices and he bought a house next to a country club. And <laughs> it's just because that's part of, part of his work is networking and people love to network on the golf course because who doesn't like to do business when they're wearing loud pants? That's what I do. That's why I loved it. I used to, I used to like to drink. Uh, we used to call them drink girls. That's probably not politically correct anymore, but they were girls on carts who would drive around with drinks. And that was a nice bonus. Not the girls, the you know cart of drinks coming right to you. That's perfect. You don't have to go looking for the drinks. It's just like, oh boy, I'm thirsty. Up oh, here comes somebody at a cart. It's like a modern day Gunga Din. Perfect. Except instead of just water, she's got you know a cooler full of beer. So, all right. How old were you when you first uh, got to stay home alone? And I'm talking about like well, you're you have older siblings. So perhaps the older siblings would stay home and uh, take care of you. Do you remember after they were gone, do you remember the first time your parents let you stay home and watch your younger sibling?
1: Well, after they were gone, I was already in high school pretty much. So
0: I was staying home. I mean, probably probably 13, 12, 13. 13. Okay, 12, 13 sounds about right. That's that's probably 7th, 8th grade. Uh, I think when you're in 7th or 8th grade, you should be able to uh, be by yourself for a little bit and perhaps take care of some younger siblings, maybe not newborns, but, uh, you know. Take care of some things well, the uh, Illinois House has overwhelmingly approved a bill that will lower the age at which children could be left home without supervision. Uh, they're talking about longer periods, which we'll get into i'm not uh, you know, I'm not quite uh, fond of that, but we'll see so under the current law, parents can be charged with neglect for leaving children younger than fourteen unsupervised for quote an unreasonable period of time end quote, and the vagary is where things get uh, rough. Parents can also be charged with child abandonment if they leave children under the age of 13 alone for 24 hours. See, that's where I kind of... Uh, the new Anyway, the new law has it they've lowered the age to 12. I still think 12 is too young to be left alone for 24 hours. You know, I think once it... And I know this is splitting hairs, but I think once it comes to leaving a kid alone overnight... That's where I tend to, to start thinking, well, this is probably not a good idea. Uh, the bill's sponsor, who is from Rockford, Cody, said lowering the age to 12 would correct the legislature's, quote, overreaction to a terrible situation that happened in which a couple left young children at home on their own for well over a week while they traveled out of the country, end quote. And I think most of us remember that story. Uh, in 1992, there was a case in Kane County where uh, parents left their nine and four year old daughters. Uh, home at Christmas time so they could go to Mexico for a week. Uh yeah, they should be charged with something. They're that absolutely. Now, if you have so you have a 12 year old, and again, let's say 12 year old seventh grade. So you have a 12 year old and then another sibling. I don't know. Now I'm trying to decipher. I've been trying to decipher if this just means if you have a 12 year old or if you have a 12 year old who is watching a younger sibling. Um it lowers the threshold applying to children younger than 12. So I'm trying to, to come to grips with this, and I'm not, I'm not exactly a fan. I'm a fan of not saying parents have, uh, you know, if you leave your kid while, after school while you're at work for a few hours and the kid's 12 years old and he's watching a 7-year-old sibling, there's no reason you should be brought up on uh, child abandonment charges or anything like that. The, those kids should be fine. And if, if you have to leave them like that, I'm sure you've talked to them and said, all right, here's, here's the phone numbers for what you do. You come home, you close the door, you don't go out, you don't turn on the stove, you, you know. And you, you have to know your own kids. Can I trust my child to do this? Can I trust my child to follow these directions? Or is my child, uh, you know, the spawn of the devil and is going to do whatever they want whenever I leave them alone? If that's the case, perhaps you don't leave them alone. But leaving children alone overnight I don't think till you're and even this I don't think till they're in high school. And even then it's got to be like junior senior year. I don't I don't think when you're 12, 13, 14 years old being left home alone overnight that's not a good idea. I don't know if it rises to the level of child abandonment. You know, it's going to depend. Do you have somebody who's coming in to check on the kids? Is there are they in contact? Is it because you know you're in a profession where you've had to work a double now all of a sudden you're stuck at work for another 12 hour shift well okay then we have to take that as a case by case basis obviously you can't throw a blanket statement if you if you've left your child alone you're going to be tried for child abandonment or charged with child abandonment that that can't be the case um so the Illinois law actually had set the highest minimum age in the country for leaving children unsupervised. Only two other states have set minimum ages. Uh, the minimum age in Oregon is 10 and 8 in Maryland. That's very low. 8 is very low. The bill is going to protect parents who let their older children be at home alone after school before they got home from work, for example. Best thing we can do is eliminate that danger for parents, giving some practical assurance to working families and allow them to make the decision whether or not their child is mature enough to be on their own. And I think that's that's the ultimate thing. You have to know your own kids. But there's there's also a point where we do have to protect children from parents who don't use common sense, who do uh, think to themselves. And now granted that Home Alone case was a uh, the far end of the spectrum where parents leave their kids home for nine days but there's also going to be there's also going to be uh, parents who push the limits a little bit so we have to work at it clarifies uh, that a, a neglect does not allow children to walk or ride bikes so it's not it's not the same walking and riding your bikes alone you can't be tried for or charged with neglect as well all right let's take a quick break We'll get your thoughts on this 312-981-7200 and talk about so much more we'll do it on the other side it is 720 w g n the uh, Illinois House approving the, uh, a bill that will lower the age at which children can be left alone without supervision, dropping it from uh, 14 to 12. Uh, parents uh, can be, ch- under the current law, parents can be charged with child abandonment if they leave children under the age of 13 alone for 24 hours or more without supervision by someone over the age of 14. This is now dropping that to 12. So, uh you can. Uh, it's going to lower the threshold and allow twelve-year-olds to be alone. So, I'm wondering when was when did you start leaving your kids alone? When were you left alone? And at what time period do you think? Okay, now we're pushing it. I still say 24 hours uh, is too long when you're when you're 12, 13. You start leaving the you leave the kids that long. It just you're asking for trouble. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. 7200 Richard is in Chicago. He wants to jump in. Hi, Richard.
3: Hello. Uh, happy Sunday. And to you. Um, yeah, um, I think that uh, 14 is all right to be uh, the person in charge uh, while a parent or parents work overnight. I know that when my mother died just before I turned eight, my father's somewhat rebellious daughter, I mean, uh, first cousin, uh, decided that she didn't need she needed a place to go my father needed a babysitter for me so she was able to babysit for me and she was 15 okay and so she was responsible I w- at eight or almost eight wasn't responsible enough to be there by myself now this was before we had you know the the marvelous technology of phones and and camera phones and so now you can check in on your children repeatedly and you can just see what's going on in the house and you can make sure they're home and everything is okay. You can touch in. At the time that I was growing up, um, you know, we didn't have that check-in responsibility uh, with the phones and everything. So I think nowadays it's responsible, but for 24 hours, I think that's too much. Yeah, and it's you know what?
0: You bring up a good point, Richard. I hadn't thought of with the technology, you know, between, between, as you said, the phones and the cam nanny cams all that you can you can pretty much keep track of your kids if they if they're staying in the house or even if they're not with their phones you can find out where they are all the time which does which does add a little uh, a little level of security and like i said it's if you're if you've got a parent that's working overnight that's one thing if if you just leave on a sunday morning and tell your kids i'll see you monday there that's that's where we get into some trouble i agree well thank you for the call richard have a great day
3: yeah, you too. Take, Take care.
0: Bye bye. And uh Deborah is in Arlington Heights. Hi, Deborah. Hi. Hi, Brian. So what do you think? Um,
4: I'm a mom of five, um, fifty-five years old, and a grandma of five. Holy cow, good um, for you. <laughs> I know, I got about seventy nine thousand dollars or er, seventy nine thousand diaper changes <laughs> in my life. Uh carpal tunnel in both my hands and putting babies around my head. <laughs> um the YMCA used to give out babysitting certificates and CPR, uh, those kinds of things, especially about choking. That was the biggest terror thing.
0: Sure.
4: Um, at age 13, I was making about $400 a week babysitting. Wow. Yeah, I know. I wish I could wow. still do. Um, so, you know, I have three girls, When um, they wanted to start staying home. Uh, I think 12 and 13, because they're starting to become teenagers, you know, they want to have a little time by themselves, you know, kind of feel a little grown up. Um, there was no stove. You could use the microwave, no stove, no friends over, um, unless you want to have one over yeah. with their parents' permission.
3: Right.
4: Uh, but they had to know that I wasn't home. Um, but I would call like every hour or every two hours just to make sure everything was okay. Yeah. But I don't think leaving a thirteen-year-old in charge of a four-year-old for days or nine-year-old with the what was is a four-year-old for a couple days?
0: Yeah, there was well the one the case oh, that, that they're that's, talking that's about was a little was, bit too much. Oh, that's a lot too much. Nine and nine and four for for a day is too much. Nine and four <laughs> for more than a couple hours, I think, is too much.
4: Well, the thing is, though, too, what would happen to that kid that is the oldest that's babysitting, if something was to happen? Right. Would exactly. It, how would that other child live the rest of her life knowing that she couldn't save that kid from choking? Or, yeah, no, or, nine
0: is nine is way too young. That's why 12, 12 is okay if you're you know if you've got to run to the store or if you're coming home after school and you're a twelve year old and you're watching your your uh, brother or sister who's six or seven years old, that I think that's fine. Depending, you know, again, you have to know your kid. But if you yeah. left that same 12 and six year old alone for 24 hours, that's too much. I think uh, you have to go with the
4: responsibility of how mature the child is. Also, at the age of 13, boys seem to be a little bit too immature.
0: Yeah, um, and it's.
4: And it's I, always, you know, it depends
0: on the child, I guess. Yeah. I agree. Well, Deborah, thank you for the call. Have a great afternoon. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's again, even it even if you're the most mature and responsible 13-year-old, you're still only 13. You know, and you can do, you know, if again, I did it. I have four younger brothers. I had to I watched them when my parents would go out. It wasn't all the time that they'd go out, but I'd watch them and I babysat for cousins and things like that and we had babysitters come over to watch us. But then, you know, when I got to be like seventh or eighth grade, I was, my parents figured I was old enough to keep an eye on things. And again, it it wasn't like they went out all the time. When they would go out, they wouldn't be home late, but my brothers would go to bed and I'd either fall asleep or I'd, you know, be watching TV because it was a, a, you know, you get to stay up a little later on a Friday or Saturday night because your parents are out. But, uh, you know, I get, this is. This will take away the worry of parents who have legitimate reasons for leaving kids alone for, for amounts of time. If they're you know, if you have to work, whatever, that's fine. But I couldn't imma- I can't imagine and when I read this story and I started remembering this case, obviously these parents you can't you can't think about why they did what they did. The parents who left a nine and a four-year-old home for nine days when they went to Mexico, because rational people don't think that way. So rational people, we can't come up, even as irrational as I am, I can't come up with a justification for that, other than you're an idiot. Uh, Here's big news, Cody, on the personal front for me. Uh, I may soon be dating Charlize Theron. Oh, yeah? Yeah. um, Because I haven't really run this by Debbie yet, but I may, because Charlize is coming out and saying that uh, no one will step up and date her. So, of course, this ties into a movie opening. So she's trying to get a little bit of publicity. But she is uh, and we all we've all come across men and women like this who, uh, you know, they obviously they're the kind of people who would be in demand in the dating pool. And Oh, no, one will ever date me because I'm so hard uh, quickly uh, going back. The parents going out on a Saturday night for five or six hours, 11-year-old, about sixth grade for me, with a seven-year-old sibling. That was Kelly. Then I think, again, that's fine. Uh, From the 6-3-0, 630, I would never leave my high school or college kids alone overnight. Too much temptation for them to have a party. Uh, That's what the high school boy next door did, and there was alcohol there. Yeah, see? See, this is just such a case-by-case case thing, though. Of course. My parents left me alone, and I was old
1: enough. But senior year of high school, they left town, and I had a bunch of friends over, and we played Smash Brothers and ate Chili Dogs. Right. Not a drop of alcohol, not a of drug in sight. Sure. you you're,
0: I know. I believe you. And that's, and your parents believed you, too. They were like, we'll let him have Nerdfest overnight. We're, we're going
1: like, to be fine. He's a nerd. His nerdy friends aren't going to get and in any trouble. Sen-
0: you're a senior in high school, so they know. By this time, you've- be- You know, it's not like all of a sudden you've been waiting, lying in wait your entire (laughs) high school career. One of these days they're going to leave me alone. And then things are going to get lit. I can't wait. And and you just kept biding your time, never even knowing because your parents never left overnight before. So you had no reason to think that one day they would, and yet you did. Mm. You laid there waiting. Every night you would go to sleep with your fingers crossed, saying your prayers. Dear God, please let my parents go away overnight. So I can finally do what I have no desire to ever do, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) Just because. Well, there you go. People are texting in asking if I'm going to tell the Easter ham story. Well, today is not Easter. Next week is Easter. So there's a good chance that you will hear the saddest Easter story People love the saddest Easter story ever, Cody. Because... (laughs) It just plays into my pain and anguish. It's an annual tradition. Oh, we love traditions here. Like the tradition of uh, Charlize thing that, saying that no one, no one will date her. Uh, she said she's been out of the dating pool for so long that courting her would be anything but a long shot. So she's pretty much saying, hey, man, step up. You you too could date Charlize Theron. Uh, does anybody believe her? Does anybody believe that Charlize Theron is not having people ask her to date? She said, quote, I've been single for 10 years. It's not a long shot. Somebody just needs to grow a pair and step up. I'm shockingly available. Methinks thou dost protest too much. Me too. Yeah, come on. This is all. Again, she wants to drum up PR for her movie. And she wants now all these guys to be sitting in the movie going, (laughs) I could date her. No, you can't, trench coat. Just it's all publicity stunt. You can't do it. Uh, she's had long term. Her last long term public relation uh, relationship was with Stuart Townsend. Uh, they were in the film Trap together. Then she started dating Sean Penn in 2013. Announced her engagement and then they split in 2015. So that didn't work out. So she's looking for love. Cody, I don't know. You're you're newly married, so you probably not. Uh, you probably wouldn't get the okay. I think Debbie would give me the okay to date Charlize Theron just to get me out of her hair. Just get me out of the house a couple nights a week.
1: Hang on. Sorry, Brian. I'm on the phone in here with my wife asking if I can date Charlie Theron. Throne. Wow. So you and I would be in competition, is what you're telling me? Well, I'm asking if she and I can ask yeah. Charlie is thrown out for a date.
0: Oh, see. She'll that's get double not her fair. money. Yeah, sorry. That's not fair.
1: You get yeah. to throw down the uh, the couple date. Yeah, we would we would love to date Charlie Theron.
0: Oh, see. Your wife would do like some of the yoga poses. It would just mm oh. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah, you think it's my charm that's going to land? No, to this it's definitely not your charm that's going <laughs> to land to Charlie's. You've got to put all your money on your lovely wife. She'll be the one. I think I already have. She'll be the one to seal that deal. (laughs) Uh, All right. Wow. After that, uh, change happens, Cody. The only thing constant is change. How does change happen? How do social movements get started? How do political movements take hold? We will find out when Cass Sunstein joins us on the other side of the news to talk about his new book, How Change Happens. The uh, You can hear everyone's favorite weatherman, Tom Skilling, weekday afternoons at 4 on the RoCon show with Anna DeVlantes on 720 WGN Chicago. Smart speaker users, just say play WGN Radio on TuneIn. The news is sponsored by Lindemann Chimney and Fireplace. It is 5 o'clock with the news. Here's Pam Jones. After 6, we will uh, talk with the cast of the Cantina Cast, the Star Wars podcast, the Star Wars podcast. Experience. Celebration is in Chicago through tomorrow. And so we will talk a little bit about Star Wars and all the changes that have gone on in the Star Wars universe. Because change is inevitable. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, change is happening. But if you're like me, you start to wonder, well, how how do things start to change? And how did... How do things like Me Too all of a sudden get traction? How do things like Black Lives Matter, how do social changes, civil rights, voting, sexual harassment, all these all these things change? Or maybe in this day and age, in this political climate, you're thinking, how did... How do political movements start to change? Well, I cannot give you the answer, but the man who can is Professor Cass Sunstein. He is uh, with us now. He's the Robert Walmsley University professor at the Harvard Law School. He also has taught law at the University of Chicago, and he was the administrator of the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs in the Obama Administration. His latest book, How Change Happens, is on sale everywhere, and it is a fascinating, fascinating piece of literature. Professor Sunstein, thanks for taking some time to join me today
5: oh thanks to you pleasure to be here
0: so a lot of a lot of questions and it was as i was reading through the book and trying to figure this out i i kept thinking well where can we start because to answer to ask the simple question well how does change take place there's so many levels to that question uh i do want to start though with the role of social norms because that seems to be a running thread throughout the book that social norms are really do have a role in in change. First of all, can you can you tell everybody what you mean by the social norms, and then how are they so instrumental in change?
5: Okay, so social norm basically refers to what you're supposed to do. So maybe if someone is acting inappropriately, you're supposed to grin and bear, bear it. Maybe if the schools are segregated, you're supposed to smile and go to the one that you're assigned to. Maybe if... Um, uh, you're kind of not allowed to be uh, gay or lesbian. You are closeted. And a social norm might mean that if you like President Trump and think he'd be great or is being great, you might not say that because the norm in your community might forbid that. So sometimes norms can make for political correctness. Writ very large, meaning you know it's not correct to say one thing or another, and we all have that. Uh, sometimes norms weaken or soften, so there might be a norm that says that sexual harassment of some kinds is okay, um, even if it's against the law, and it, that norm might uh, start to collapse as people start saying "Me Too," or maybe someone says it might be Rosa Parks, "I'm not going to go to the back of the bus," and that kind of starts to shatter the norm, and when the norm starts being shattered then people start saying what they really think and then societies can go whoosh meaning they can start changing in a very rapid uh, period
0: now you mentioned in the book though that one person you and you just referenced rosa parks that one person is it's usually very hard for one individual to make that change happen is it it, and let's take rosa parks for example is it because there were so many people already who were questioning that social norm that it just took one person to put a crack in that wall and then everything was able to flow a little freer because sometimes as you mentioned in the book one person speaks out and they kind of they could be ostracized because they're not they don't have enough support at that point
5: Yes. So the, uh, what you says is exactly right. So the key point is that um, uh, if there is something inside our heads saying that something is wrong or bad, if one person says publicly that thing is wrong or bad, uh, we might think, well, they're going to get in trouble or they're a crazy person or, or what's the point? It might involve uh, the environment. It might involve animal welfare. It might involve immigration in one way or another. And if we think that We're going to be just with one crazy person, then Uh, what's the point of that?" Rosa Parks is famous and she's a woman of tremendous courage. Of course, it's not just the case, though, that she um, was speaking for the hidden views of many millions of people. It's also that when she spoke for them, so to speak, by doing what she did, uh, there were a lot of other people who were doing something like that or who were aren't prepared to do it. Okay. So it's not like her action, though history you know, rightly celebrates it, it's not her action, you know... Uh, Rose, a civil rights movement by itself, uh, she needed more than a village. She needed a number of people who were basically there uh, at the time. So for one person, as you say, it's really tough. If one person is very visible, uh, Martin Luther King, of course, was very visible and kind of channeling what had been the uh, secret views of many people, and that's also true of the recent Hashtag Me Too movement and the Women's Movement in the 1970s. And it's certainly true of the anti-immigration movement of the current period. And people have different valuations, uh, e- evaluations of these movements. But what they share in common is that people get freed up to say what they had formerly thought was uh, kind of not allowed.
0: Now, so that that plays into another point you made in the book about social Uh, social interactions so if somebody is against one of these social norms in a bubble it's not going to work but as you mentioned in the case of the civil rights movement there were a lot of people in different areas but all kind of working toward the common good or with at least the common idea and once those people all started interacting then then the change was able to take hold more than if it was just a couple people here and there
5: yeah I'll give you a recent uh, bit of research it's very simple and it vindicates the point you just made which is in 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 Saudi Arabia by custom wives aren't allowed to join the labor force unless their husbands say it's okay now young Saudi men were surveyed to say ask and asked do you think it's okay if your wives work in the labor force and overwhelmingly they said they said yes that's great I'm completely for that then they were asked what do they think most men like them think and overall. Commonly, they said, oh, most men like me think it's a terrible thing. So they privately thought wives working outside of the home is just fine. But they publicly, including in their family, said it's not fine because that's what they thought the norm was. Now, here's the kicker. They were informed that the research showed that most young Saudi men think it's fine for wives to be working outside of the home. And that information by itself produced a very large spike four months later in the number of people, that is wives, who are applying to join the labor force. The norm collapsed once people learned that people didn't actually, actually agree with it. And that little research tells us something about what happens in the uh, social movement small ones. It tells us something about when uh, products start to take off, when people think, you know, maybe organic food, it's okay to like organic food, or when they think maybe it's it's just a fine thing to support a political candidate from South Bend uh, who's gay or when they think there's a former businessman who's kind of loud, but he might make America great again. And so long as I know that a lot of people like that uh, think something like that and they're not that different from me and they're speaking out, then they feel they can they can do that. And then we can see a really dramatic movement in a matter of weeks or months.
0: How does this differ then from when we talk to young kids about peer pressure? It sounds it sounds like these are similar concepts that if I'm if I'm worried about as an adult what the social norm is and I'm going to stop myself from speaking out about something because I think uh, you know, oh, a lot of people aren't uh, aren't thinking the same way, am I much different than an adolescent who doesn't want to wear a certain kind of shoes because nobody else in school wears those shoes?
5: I think it's it's it overlaps, so it's a, it's a great question, but it's a little bit different. So, if you think in your head, you know this 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 practice is wrong. It may be a practice that's unkind or cruel or something. Uh, but the social norm is the practice is fine. Then the problem is that you're not free to say what you think, and that's a precondition for many of the social movements that we've observed over the last fifty years. It's actually a precondition for the American Revolution where many people in the colonies thought British rule was awful and we'd have to get rid of it but they needed a permission slip from the social support of lots of other people like them mm-hmm. like the Saudi Arabia study right. and then we had you know then we had America go now for peer peer pressure It might be that there's some voice in the head of people saying, you know, I don't want to drink, but I'm under pressure to drink. Uh, If that's the underlying uh, uh, problem or issue, then it is quite similar to what I'm discussing, though it doesn't have the moral uh, feature where people aren't saying, you know, They don't think there's a deep injustice being done. Uh, Often peer pressure means people don't have a particularly strong conviction one way or the other. Is it good to stay up till 10 p.m.? Is it a great thing to be out at night till midnight? They might not think it is or it isn't, but if the peers are either doing it or not doing it, that can greatly affect what they are going to choose to do.
0: Let's. Uh, we've we've talked about a lot of good change coming. We've mentioned the civil rights movement and uh, the end of sexual harassment, or or the the attention being called to sexual harassment. But there's also you get you get some social or political movements that are not good, and yet even though there's there's people who I am sure think these are bad, they still tend to get, they still seem to grab hold. Is it? Uh, you you had mentioned in the book about uh, suppressed beliefs and values and the, those getting oxygen. I, explain that phenomena because if if something bad is able to come come out even though there's enough people standing against them, how can we how can we either stop those the bad movements uh, from taking hold or identify that these may be coming in the future.
5: Okay, so there's uh, a historical example that fits what you're saying, and then there's a current one. Uh, The historical example is the rise of Nazism, which was partly uh, a kind of permission slip given to people who didn't like Jews very much to talk and act on the basis of what they privately thought, and the killings of Jews and others and Hitler's rise This is not a full account by any means, but it's partly just a permission slip that the social norm against anti-Semitism, it didn't just slip, it flipped upside down. So there became a norm for anti-Semitism on the, the influence people who didn't particularly dislike Jews. And some of the former Nazis interviewed in the 1950s were incredibly eloquent about this, saying, did we oppose Hitler? Who knows who opposed Hitler? depends on the circumstances, who was in the room, uh, what the norm was. And even then, if people said they opposed or didn't oppose, it depends on who they were talking to. Uh, A contemporary example, I think, is the rise of uh, racial um, uh, hate speech and uh, hateful action, which we've seen, it appears to have been documented by numbers, that uh, acts of racially motivated violence have spiked a bit. In the last few years, and uh, stipulating that the data is correct, uh, it's probably fair to say that uh, recent unleashing, let's say, of white supremacist thinking. By people who may not themselves really have much interest in white supremacy, but have been less um, uh, clamping down on the expression of white supremacist attitudes, that has uh, contributed to very ugly words, and that's pretty bad. But worse than that, to uh, actual acts of violence.
0: Well, I want to. Uh, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to continue on this and you talk a lot about tipping points as well so where in in the current movement can we identify where where the tipping point was and can we identify just in any social movement where the actual tipping point is professor cass sunstein is my guest he is the author of how change happens you can find the book everywhere that fine books are sold more with the professor in just a minute on 720 WGN. Brian Noonan, 720 WGN. Professor Cass Sunstein is my guest. He's the Robert Walmsley University professor at the Harvard Law School. He he is the former administrator of the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs in the Obama administration. He also taught law at the University of Chicago. His latest book, How Change Happens, uh, is out now. He uh, is... Best-selling co-author, his last book "Nudge: Improving Decisions About Health, Wealth, and Happiness," and "Nudge" comes into play in this book as well. But let's go back, uh, Professor Sunstein. We were talking about, uh, we had talked about uh, social and political movements that seem beneficial to the ma- vast majority of people taking hold we also talked about negative social and political movements taking hold and i wanted to talk about the concept of the tipping point we uh, there there seems to be that point in every movement but for example we were talking about the uh, current state of the increase of racial violence and hate speech and where as we as you look back and you track things with research how do we identify a tipping point for something like that
5: Well, it's easy in the abstract to know exactly how it happens. It's a little harder to get uh, clear on in a kind of sea of events exactly what the right moment was. So let's talk about the easier one, if we might, at the beginning. Sure. So it, it might be that if, you know, take it, take the question whether you're going to join some environmental movement. You might have in your head a you know, concern about dirty air or about climate change, but you're busy. At what point are you going to join it? It might be that you're the sort of person who will join it if you see that it's starting to get some oxygen, but you need to see that first if you are one of the people who join it once it's getting oxygen, then it might be that there are a lot of people like you, and so it's getting oxygen, and that is getting people like you. Then there's another group of people who need to see people like you going, and then they will go too. And you could do a little arithmetic to make this more clear, but after that third layer of people have gone, it might be that's the tipping point, and then you're going to get uh, the Clean Air Act, or you're going to get people in Chicago, you know, very determined okay. to press the state legislature to, to do something about air quality in in, in Illinois. So that, that that's how it goes. In terms of particular moments, I'll tell you one that was a really fast tipping point in the recent past, Alyssa Milano, uh, the actress, uh, tweeted, uh, that if hashtag me too. And within 24 hours, 45% of American Facebook users had someone in their friends' network who had tweeted Me Too, hashtag Me Too. So Milano, in that case, with the aid of social media, media basically created what's probably the closest thing to a tipping point for the hashtag Me Too movement. 45%, that's astonishing. It yeah. happened basically overnight. And once that happened, then... Uh, then women who'd been subject to sexual violence. Uh, that was a uh, a big green light, and we can see with with different movements. You know, uh, President Trump's success. There were key moments in the in the Republican primary where people who liked him seemed to feel they had a permission slip because other people who liked liked him. And he uh, is, is ingenious about this. He often points to the large numbers of people. Who think he's doing a good job, or who are going to support him, and that's a way of creating a self fulfilling prophecy. And uh, it's not quite a tipping point, at least at least an increase, which can eventually create a surge. So
0: even if it's even if it's a movement that, uh, and I guess it's either when you're when you're in an opposition to any movement, you think, well, most people think like me, but something something where it comes to racial violence, where most people would say this is not an acceptable movement and yet it's still it's still able to take take hold and it's still able to move forward is it because the people who have the social norm against that have just decided to be quiet and they allow this change to happen or is it that the change the the, what fuels the change is so strong that it's going to go against even commonly held norms
5: Okay, so the, this excellent question points to the fact that no nation is a single community of people talking to all of one another at the same time. We have a lot of subgroups and sub communities, and with social media, it's possible to construct—I uh, uh, think the technical word is sub subcommunities. <laughs> so you can have a you can have a subcommunity that is thinking something really ugly and awful, and they might have that in their head. It might be that they're crazy, or it might be they have some kind of ambient rage that is targeted on something, or it might be that they just have some conviction about white supremacy or something. Uh, If you are isolated in that, you might think, well, what's the point, or I should be mad about something else, or I should do my job. But if you're able to uh, interact, uh, let's say, on Facebook with a bunch of others who think that, then you might have a green light to say what you think, and for a very fortunately a very small, in terms of the total population, a very small percentage of um, our nation, uh, there there's there's going to be action. And in any particular incident, we need to you know look at the details. But some of them seem to have this feature where people linked up with others who thought as they do. And they felt uh, both fixated on what might have been, you know, a passing phase of wild thinking. And it became not a passing phase, but eventually uh, a basis for killing somebody.
0: Professor Cass Sunstein is my guest. His new book, How Change Happens, is available everywhere. Professor, if you can hold on during the news, I do want to talk to you about nudges. I also, in this day and age, it's become more and more of a thing. Partyism is something that you talk about in the new book. That and group polarization. So a lot more to talk to with Professor Cass Sunstein. The book, again, is How Change Happens. You can get it anywhere that you get uh, fine books. So we'll talk more with the professor on the other side of the news. It's 530 on 720 WGN. With that news, here's Pam Jones. Brian Newton on 720 WGN. Talking with Professor Cass Sunstein, he is the Robert Walmsley University professor at the Harvard Law School. He's also taught law at the University of Chicago and is the former administrator of the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs during the Obama administration. His latest book, How Change Happens, is available everywhere. Professor, thanks for hanging on during the news. Uh, Now, I mentioned earlier that your, your last book was called Nudge, Improving Decisions About Health, Wealth, and Happiness. Nudges play an important part in the book, How Change Happens, as well. First of all, explain to people who may not be aware, what exactly is a
5: nudge? Okay. So a nudge is uh, something like a GPS device where you turn it on and it nudges you to take a certain route to get where you have said you want to go. So think of a nudge as something that respects your freedom of choice. That is, you can say, I don't care what you're saying, nudger. And it also cares about your preferred location. Where do you want to go? Uh, The idea of a GPS device is a metaphor as well as a nudge. So if you go by food and you're worried let's say about uh uh, sugar or salt, uh, you can get information from the nutrition facts panel, and that will be a nudge. It will inform you of things that are maybe concerning you. Or if you're concerned about calories, if you have a calorie count at McDonald's or Burger King, the calorie label is a nudge. Uh, so too, if there's a warning when you get medicines that says, you know, don't use it in certain ways or don't take more than two of the pills, mm-hmm. that, that's a nudge. It, it's not a law. It's a nudge. Uh, If there is uh, uh, in your workplace something that automatically enrolls you in certain programs that are, uh, we hope, in your interest, maybe a savings program, maybe something involving your health, uh, but you can opt out if you don't like it. That's a nudge. And when I worked in the White House, we did a a lot of stuff involving disclosure of information or uh, helping uh, combat poverty that involved uh, simplification or uh, clear information, maybe for people who are using credit cards who might be fooled by uh, something that is either deception or close to it, a nudge so that they don't uh, end up with charges that are uh, something that just was hidden in the fine print. So all those things are nudges. And when companies are doing a good job or employers, they are uh, nudging either customers or employees in a way that helps customers or employees have a better experience.
0: Now, all those nudges that you mentioned sound like they would be effective. You're not going to take too much medicine. You're not going to get into credit card, uh, credit card abyss. All those are good. Are there nudges and there must be that are not that are not as effective?
5: Well, they, there's, a, there's a possibility that the nudge won't be effective, and there's a possibility that the nudge will be uh, pointing people in a, in a bad direction. Right. So a nudge that wouldn't be effective would be... Uh, like an advertising campaign to convince people to eat a lot of salt. I I hope that wouldn't be a very effective campaign, and (laughs) if we're lucky, that wouldn't work too great. And we've had some things from government involving cigarette smoking, and you might be hearing my dog bark. I tried I, to nudge him not I, to bark. Those and, dogs and, and want to nudge you so. to, to take uh, them uh, outside, I understand. Yeah, <laughs> understand. yeah I, I'm <laughs> So, so there, there are plenty of things that failed companies do to try to get us to buy things. Right. And they try to nudge us so they don't work. And uh, our governments, I think in some ways this is a good thing, sometimes fail to nudge us in the directions they like. There are also some nudges that are effective, but that's not very good. So if people are nudged to um, uh, to smoke a lot of cigarettes, as has happened in American history, or if they're nudged to uh, take a lot of sugar-sweetened beverages, consume as much in the way of sugar-sweetened, but, uh, sugar-sweetened beverages as possible, that's, uh, that could be a very effective nudge. But it's not making people better off.
0: So are these... You mentioned, you mentioned with the, uh, the GPS analogy or metaphor that, that it still gives you gives us as individuals our freedom of choice. Are these nudges ethical because you deal a lot with ethics and morals in in the book as well?
5: I actually know a lot about what Americans think, and uh, what Americans think in this context is a pretty good guide for what's ethical, I think, and it cuts across partisan lines. So if people are being nudged in a a direction that's inconsistent with their values or their interests, it's not a good nudge, according to both Republicans and Democrats. So the first constraint is the nudge should better be, like a good GPS is, uh, protective of what people's interests and values are. If you are automatically, let's say, uh, enrolled in a political party, that you're presumed to be a Democrat or Republican unless you opt out, that is offensive to the values probably as the vast. Well, I know from data that's offensive to the values of the vast majority of Americans, even if they are members of the political party into which people are being nudged. People think that's no good. So, it has to be consistent with people's interests and values. A nudge can't be motivated by, let's say, the self interest of companies, unless it's also by good fortune, uh, consistent with the self-interest of individuals, and certainly if it's the government, uh, the nudge shouldn't be in the interest of the current politician. It should be interest in the interest of the people that the current politician is privileged to serve. Nudges shouldn't be manipulative. They should be transparent and clear so that people can evaluate them. They shouldn't be hidden. Uh, you may know that uh, we now have in the United States something called a footprint is something I got to be involved in in the government. And it's completely transparent, and it was adopted through a process that involves a lot of consultation. It says basically make half your plate fruits and vegetables. That right. that's recommended, but if people don't want to do that, they don't have to do that. So that's a nudge that is uh, thought to be, and I think it is consistent with people's interests and values, uh, but it also preserves freedom of choice. And there's nothing manipulative about it. Well, there were so too that... when you buy. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. When you buy a car, uh, you've got a fuel economy label, which will tell you something about the uh, annual fuel costs and also tell you something about the environmental effects. And people like that across partisan lines. That is, they like the label. They may not want to buy a fuel-efficient car, and that's because it fits with what people care about.
0: as I was li- reading about the nudges, and, and that all makes sense, kind of giving people a guide, a suggestion to something else. But then you also talked about forcing choices, and people, people tend to not want to have too many choices. You use the analogy of getting into a cab and the driver asking what route do you want to take and things like that. So where is the line between we don't mind being nudged, but we don't want to have too
5: many choices? Well, I think the question is whether um, people should be forced to choose or instead permitted to choose. Okay. So, so, so if you're in a cab, um, if if the driver knows how to get to the airport, the driver might just take you there because it's a cab driver who ought to know how to get to the airport <laughs> right. in the best way. Uh, if the cab driver is starting to go rude or, or that you don't like you should certainly have the right to say i don't like that so the only point is that there are a lot of things where we uh like it that the uh when we buy a, a cell phone this just- Make it concrete. They don't ask us a million questions about what you want the settings to be. They give you a bunch of automatic settings, which you can change if you want. If they asked you which settings do you want for the roughly a million things that your cell phone is set to, it may not be quite a million, but if there's a lot, you would never get out of the store. Right, exactly. And so for so for many products, the number of questions that you're asked is less than infinite, and that's because the thinking, you can choose it if you want, but we're not going to waste your time on this one. And I think there's a big lesson in that about life, where if you're dealing with the Social Security system or the criminal justice system or your hospital, they will... limit the number of questions they ask you, uh, I hope not too much, uh, but they will also, across a wide territory, uh, allow you to make choices if you want to, and they'll give you the information or make it easily accessible such that you can make choices if that's what you want to do.
0: And these, how do we tie in then the, the choices and the nudges into change? How does that, how does that all get wrapped in?
5: Well, I'll give you two examples. Um, There's a program in the United States that both Republicans and Democrats basically like. It makes poor kids eligible for breakfast and lunch, and it's not... It's not especially controversial, and the uh, number of kids who have signed up over the years has been well short of the number of kids who are eligible. Now, a lot of the kids are like eight, nine years old, so they're not going to sign up. Parents have to sign up because they don't. Mm-hmm. So that's a problem. The... the, the Meals can save the money. They're healthy. They can have a big impact on the lives of small children and their families. They're not signed up. So what do you do? What what was authorized by Congress and what both Republican and Democratic administrations uh, did in response was if the school district knows for sure that they're eligible, they're automatically in. Okay. So they don't have to sign up, and th- and that uh, means that we've got. You know, in a good year, over 10 million kids who are uh, uh, are enjoying these meals, and that can, you know. That's an abstract number, but that's a lot of children. That's major change. And here's another example, my only other one for now, which is the credit card law of 2009-2010, uh, that period, which uh, gives people information about late fees and overuse fees, forbids credit card companies from automatically enrolling people in various things that aren't very good for them, but the cost money. And the law kind of uh, comes to terms with those those problems. And the study showed that American consumers have saved over $9 billion uh, uh, a year as a result of that uh, set of nudges. And that's big change. So the credit cards company's ability to get money through fine print and uh, hidden characteristics of the contract with the consumers is sharply diminished. Now, that doesn't cure, you know, the problems that many people face meeting their bills, but um, a few dollars a year or $50 a year, that's a good thing.
0: I want to talk to you. We've got to take a real quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about partyism because it seems – it seems like this is a phenomenon that is getting worse and worse. I want to see if, if you agree with that, and we'll, we'll de- define it for people, tell them where it comes from, how it happens, all of that. Professor Cass Sunstein is my guest. His book, How Change Happens, is available everywhere. Uh, more with the professor in just a moment on 720 WGN. Professor, I want to get into partyism, but I think before we, before we talk about partyism, we almost have to talk about group polarization, right? What, can you define what group polarization is?
5: Yes, so a few years ago I did a little experiment in Colorado where I got people together who were very worried about climate change and they talked to each other, and the question was, what would they think after they talked to each other? So they started out very worried about climate change. Uh, After they talked to each other, they were terrified about climate change. (laughs) The intensity of their fear ratcheted up, and at the same period, I, with collaborators, got a bunch of people in Colorado who really weren't worried about climate change. They were concerned, but not very worried. After they talked to each other, they weren't worried at all about climate change. They went uh, dramatically to the political right on climate change. So group polarization is the phenomenon by which people who tend to think the same thing, after they talk to each other, they end up more extreme more confident, and more unified. And that can be a source of terrible social divisions where people may, on some question like uh, racial justice or some issue like immigration, uh, shoot way to the left or way to the right just because they're talking mostly with people who agree with them.
0: And and these, uh, these changes and these moves to one extreme or another, there's statistics to back this up. This is a regular thing. It's not just a one-off where... In, if, for example, your experiment, if you had talked to groups in other places around the country that were very worried about climate change, statistically, the reaction probably would have been the same,
5: correct? Oh yeah, it's a regularity. So if it's been been done in France, if people in France are kind of suspicious of the United States and don't trust its intentions with respect to foreign aid, after they talk to each other, they are really suspicious of the United States and think it can't be trusted at all. If people are risk taking in business school and they get to talk to each other, after they do, they end up being very very risk taking. So it's a it's a regularity. It's been demonstrated in uh, countless studies. It doesn't always Always happen, but it is what usually happens.
0: And there's something uh, that comes in with group polarization: the outrage heuristic. And a heuristic is a problem-solving that it's not always a practical method. It's not always uh, actually the best method of solving. But people use, you know, oh, this is how common sense would dictate. What's the outrage heuristic?
5: Okay, so suppose you're thinking about how much someone should be punished. Um, people typically ask, how outraged am I? And that is the uh, determinant of how much punishment they want to provide. Now, that's not the worst thing to do, because punishment surely has a lot to do with outrage. Mm-hmm. But you might be really mad at someone, uh, and if you punish them it might be that it's not going to do anybody any good except make you feel better or it may be that you're not terribly outraged about the conduct because the thing doesn't bother you so much but it might be the underlying conduct that doesn't bother you so much is let's say polluting a lot of waters and you might stop to think well i'm not that upset but There are a lot of people who are going to have unsafe drinking water, a lot of fish who are going to die, and that is a reason for deterring the conduct. So the the fact that we have this immediate, uh, intense kind of red color before our eyes uh, ought not to be the determinant of how much punishment there is.
0: Okay, now let's move into partyism, because uh, in, in the country today, the lines seem to be drawn firmer than they ever were. So... For those who aren't sure, what exactly is partyism, and what causes it?
5: Yeah, so partyism kind of a made-up term, but uh, let's go with it. I I can go with it because I made it up, so (laughs) I'll go with it. Uh, The the term is uh, uh, that if you have an intense and immediate negative feeling towards people of the opposing political party. So obviously it's a play on racism and sexism, and it's meant as that because in, in some research, people who are a little bit bigoted against people of certain skin colors. They are a lot bigoted against people of certain political parties. In 1960 or so, hardly anyone would be upset if their child married someone of a different political party. You know, my parents had a Republican dad, a Democratic mom. Neither would care whether their children married a Democrat or Republican. That just wouldn't occur to them. But uh, now, Basically, uh, somewhere between uh, a third and a half of Republicans and Democrats uh, would be very upset if their child married someone of a different political party. That's a massive social change. And it is replicated by data suggesting that both Democrats and Republicans have a very quick, hostile reaction to people who have a different uh, different political party as their preferred party. And, you know, it's it's a little wild to think that people would be as intensely negative about someone with a political, different political position, their fellow citizens, after all, as old-style racism, but it has uh, something very much in common with that.
0: Well, now this this is obviously a change, so I know we talked about tipping points before, Is there is there a point we can identify where this change began to happen, where it where it did take hold? Is it recent or is this something that's very recent or in the last couple decades?
5: It's it's definitely the last couple of decades, so nothing like this has been observed or cataloged at any point in American history, though it's possible. Uh, I'd be surprised if there wasn't something like it in the Civil War period. Uh, but it, since data has been collected, which is for many decades now, uh, this has not been observed. Um, it seems to be growing. Every five years is a little higher. Um, what's caused it is uh, disputed. We don't have a clear account uh social media probably are a contributor where people are able to identify uh themselves much more. Um, acutely as, I am a Democrat or I am a Republican, Mm -hmm. and the fierceness of political campaigning, which seems to have ratcheted up um, uh, in some ways, at least, since the 1960s, though it's fierce occasionally Then also, the fierceness of the, and maybe the combination of fierceness and pervasiveness, so it's in your face all the time, that the other side, you know, lock them up, and there is a tendency, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I think you should find this alarming, of uh, lock them up as the kind of music. In some cases, it's the actual text, but the text or the music of, the, uh, of both parties. More on the Republican side, but, but we hear it some on the Democratic side.
0: Now, we only have a couple minutes, but what are the consequences of this? There's consequences, obviously, for the government, but it, it, it comes down to daily life as well.
5: Yeah, so in uh, let's talk about daily life. I have some data suggesting to my astonishment that if people are trying to solve you know, tasks that have nothing to do with politics they will be more likely to trust and rely on people who share their political convictions. Mm-hmm. So if you want to make money uh, you have two, in, two investment advisors. One is, shares your political views, one doesn't. And the one who doesn't is really better and has a better track record and you've learned that. A lot of people are still going to go with the person who shares their political views. So even now, if it's in not the in their
0: own best interest, they will still pick party over their their best interest.
5: Yes, there's evidence of that. And that's, you know, in a way you can understand that if you're going to be interacting with the person, you might want them to be kind of a social friend a little bit as sure. well as a moneymaker. But the data suggests that people will just go with their preferred political party person, might be a doctor, might be an engineer, might be a a lawyer, even if it's against their interest in terms of what they care about. And that I'm very confident, though I don't have data, we we would not have observed in the 1970s or 1950s. And so it's spilling over into ordinary life. That's your point. In terms of government, I I saw it close up. I worked in Washington full-time for four years and I worked um, part-time until relatively recently and I'm there a lot. And You can see the capacity of people to uh, reach agreements on things which they privately like is badly compromised because Republicans might think under President Obama it's a good idea but it's his idea and I can't support his idea. Uh, I'll get voted out or uh, I'll look like an idiot. And Democrats sometimes think under Republican leadership, I, I can't give them a nickel because uh, they're not going to do that to me. Yeah. So even it, for me, and even if they have an idea that I like, uh, they'll claim credit or I'll look weak. And so I'm just going to oppose it. And that makes the capacity of the national legislature to solve problems much weaker and it also puts a lot of pressure on the executive branch whether it's trump or obama to act unilaterally
0: well it's a fascinating book and it's been a pleasure speaking with you professor cass sunstein has been my guest the book how change happens you can find it everywhere professor thanks for your time today it's been a pleasure
5: Oh, thanks to you.
0: Take care. That is, uh, again, Professor Cass Sunstein and the book, How Change Happens. So pick that up wherever uh, books are sold. All right, on the other side of the news, oh, Roger, you're going to love this. We're going to get into the whole Star Wars conversation.
6: uh, 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 We
0: we know how to think. (laughs) Uh, But the cast cast of the Cantina cast, the hosts of the Cantina cast, a widely- uh, known and very well respected Star Wars podcast. Nice. They have been at the Star Wars celebration all weekend. I don't know if they're wearing helmets. Uh, are they coming in on a uh, X Wing fighter? What are they flying in on? Land speeder. Land speeder. I like those better. Those are the flat ones.
1: Yeah, they were going to take a tauntaun, but then it stop stopped snowing.
0: Stop snowing. That's what we talked about earlier. No need for a tauntaun once it's. Uh, once the weather clears up,
1: yeah, a Wampa did follow him up in the elevator, but I, I made exciting. it go away.
0: Are there any stormtroopers in the building? Not to my knowledge. Well, Is well, there It's, a it's Sith not storming here. anymore.
1: No so. Sith.
0: No Sith. Well, I'm, Roger, I'm using are up you all my I'm using all my knowledge before we even get the guests. Save into the some stadium. of it, will ya? you? No, need listen, it. No, I don't <laughs> listen. I don't know. I'm gonna, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna just go. Uh, I'm gonna go to the dark side with Eddie and the Cruisers. I don't think that's Ooh, the same. Yeah, see? That was a good I, one. I blended uh, two worlds collide. Yes, you it's did. It's frightening. All right, let's <laughs> do this and then then we'll talk Star Wars. Are you a Star Wars fan? Are you excited because episode 9 the trailer the teaser trailer came out? I am cuz I knew Billy D Williams and I was like, "Ooh, all right. Going to get me some Cold 45 and watch me some Star Wars. Uh, we'll talk all about Star Wars on the other side of the news. The Steve Cochran Show celebrates the most valuable person on the planet weekday mornings at 720 on 720 WGN Chicago. Smart speaker users just say, play WGN radio on TuneIn and the machines, Star Wars or otherwise, will do the rest. The news is sponsored by Lindemann Chimney and Fireplace. It is 6 o'clock. Here's Roger Batty. <laughs> All right, so that is the end of the trailer. It's Brian Noonan, 720 WGN. Uh, Karen County will be here at 7 o'clock. In the studio, before we start talking about what that sound was, in the studio are the hosts and producer of The Cantina Cast, which is a Star Wars podcast that is uh, world-renowned. These guys know everything about it. Uh, Albert Padilla and Chris Jonesy-Jones are the, co- the hosts. Albert Padilla is the host. Chris is the co host. I want to make sure I get the billing right. I don't want anybody to be upset. (laughs) And then uh, Mike Rondeau is the producer. First of all, welcome guys. Thanks for coming in. Thank Thank you you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. I know this is a huge weekend. The Star Wars celebration is going. I thought it ended today, but no, they've extended it to it goes through tomorrow at McCormick Place. So that's why you guys are in town. Absolutely for this Star Wars celebration. Now, the sound we heard was the end of the teaser trailer for episode nine, Rise of the Skywalker. Is that a Rise of Skywalker? The Rise of Skywalker. The yeah, Rise yeah. of Skywalker. And I'm confused because I didn't know the Joker was part of the Star Wars. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. so no, no. I heard I, I watched the trailer and I was like Wait, are they crossing over with DC? Is it is somehow the Joker? that's—it's not the Joker, correct? No, in no, fact, no.
7: it's the Emperor. He's back after uh, a number of years now. So yes, he is the
0: Emperor from like the first three movies. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
7: In some way, we're not really sure exactly how he's back, but we know that they're uh, probably on a quest, and at some point, they're going to cross paths with him, either physically, spiritually, ghostly. Better be physically because or... if it's if it's spiritually,
2: we're all going to get a little upset. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Yeah, yeah, lot a... right a lot of theories going around. now. There's a lot of.
0: Well, that's what I want to delve into. First of all, tell us a little bit about uh, the Cantina cast.
7: So we've been uh, podcasting since about 2011. Okay. Uh, we kind of pride ourselves on uh, really breaking down the characters, doing scene and quote analysis, getting into psychology, really get into the nerd weeds, if you will, <laughs> of Star Wars <laughs> yeah, and the I characters. And uh, we try to speculate on a lot of things. Sometimes we're right, and most of the time we're wrong, but we have a lot of fun Very doing wrong. it. yeah.
0: Does it help that Chris looks like George Lucas? A little you know, bit. Is that, yes, part yeah. of the, is that part of the allure?
7: It was part of the job
2: description when I applied. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. why I hired him, really. Right. That's why I said go for it.
0: Very nice. So, obviously, you got, for, for the last six movies, were, were you into the very first Star Wars? When, when did the interest take seed, and how did it turn into what you guys are doing today?
8: Yeah, it's one of those things you grow up with. Right. Uh, I was born in the late 70s, so I didn't see them in the theater, but first time I saw Jedi on a VHS with my grandfather it just instantly captures your imagination and it, yeah you can't it, when you grow up with it and you get the, the toys and everything else it's just part of this yeah. nostalgic feeling now but that they're continuing the stories is just makes it all the more magical
0: is it one of those things where you know after the first three movies the the common thinking was the story's kind of kind of wrapped up it's we we have closure to what happened well then George Lucas comes out with the next three and yep. that and uh, you guys can speak to this better than than anybody probably. The reception to those middle three movies, that middle trilogy, was not universally loved. Correct?
7: Yeah, I think that's probably fair. And even you could make the same argument for the sequel trilogies, right? Fair. The ones that we're going through today. Um, but we always knew there was a plan to have nine movies and. Okay. For us, it feels like we've lived these three different lifetimes, right? We yeah. had the original trilogy, we had the sequel, uh, prequel trilogy, now the sequel trilogy. Um, but I think with this one, I think something really special is going to happen because J.J. Abrams has already come out and said he's going to really try to find a way to put a big bow on all nine of these movies. They've okay. sold this as the end of the Skywalker uh, saga, right? So,
0: but that does not mean the end of the Star Wars uh, no, universe. No, correct? that's no. too much money. <laughs> no, they'll
2: we'll come back to the Skywalkers in like ten years or something.
8: Yeah,
0: like we'll, uh, we'll it. Right. It's a money.
2: But what's interesting about
8: the prequels, though, is that people are coming around to it. All these years later, there's this really enthusiasm now that's reborn from it. And so we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of The Phantom Menace, episode one. And people, while it was lukewarm coming out of the theater... People absolutely love this movie now.
7: Really? Yeah. 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 You think we talk about this on the show a lot too? There are generations like my generation grew up with the original trilogy, right? Right. But we have a lot of millennials that their their tr- their trilogy really is the prequel trilogy, even yeah, though right. it wasn't my favorite. Uh, and I look at my own children; they their favorite movies are now the sequel trilogies. They're they're not as big on Luke or uh, Anakin Skywalker like the two generations before. Okay. They're about Ray and Poe and Finn and all these new characters. Those are the ones that they're looking forward to seeing.
0: Now, when you guys started podcasting in 2011, it was not one podcasting was not as big as it is now. Absolutely not. And two, uh, while there was a niche audience, and and you you described it before when on the air as like, and you even said it now, the nerd weeds <laughs> was it uh, was it hard to garner that audience, or was that was that hardcore Star Wars audience always there? They were just looking for a place to gather in safety. I think that was a
2: good. Description of it, yeah, they were looking for something to latch onto and, yeah. and kind of talk about it because we all did. This. Part of the premise of the show is because when we when I grew up, we didn't, you know, I had a few friends you could talk about it, but that's what you did. Yeah. But then you get older, but you still want to talk about it. Right. No one is around, so then people discover the podcast. They're like, oh yeah,
0: all right, well, you know, and then they latch onto the podcast. Right. Now is uh, do you guys are you of similar mind to this or I'm guessing there's there's points of contention between <laughs> the original trilogy and the uh, the prequel trilogy and now the sequel trilogy is there uh, does it make for argumentative uh, banter? Uh, it absolutely
7: does. I think for the most part, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I think we're pretty clear on where we stand. Uh, we, I think we both all hold the original trilogy in high regard. I think we're all pretty good with the uh, prequel trilogy. Okay. And when we get to the sequel trilogy, I think that's where we kind of start to part ways at, yeah. uh, a little bit in terms of our opinions of whether or not they're favorable or, or not.
0: Now, is that because to, the, to somebody who's not, you know, a dyed-in-the-wool Star Wars fanatic, You go. Oh, these. Some of it seems to be just uh, launching pads for either other movies or other products or other avenues. Where you know the first three. Now, granted, they were also avenues for uh, tie-ins for products and things. Yeah. But they seemed. They seemed to. to, They could stand alone. There there was a, a, a piece of cinema that was just there, and it didn't have to be tied into all the ancillary stuff that goes with it.
7: Yeah.
8: that's one of the interesting things though now is that we have books and comic books that that play into we call it the canon right yeah what's actually making up the the total story and it's what's great is if you want to know more about characters you have this opportunity in order to do so and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to know all of that to enjoy the movie but if you enjoy those aspects of it you can you can go you know crazy on it if you want and it's fantastic but you're right i mean each of the movies you like them to be standalone type of movies, but you also have to have them feed into sure. the other. Oh, they, yeah. they have to feel connected. I think that's one of been the more major criticisms of it with the sequels is that they not. They didn't really have a total plan of what the three movie arc looked like. Okay, and so as we've gotten through that, and Mike can probably talk about this extensively, it's the Last
2: Jedi that put a bad taste in my or, mouth a little oh, bit. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit, and it's had part of the reason why I'm not even hosting anymore is because I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't
7: want to
0: put my negativity into the
7: show anymore. Well wow. that, that was big of him, though, right? Yeah, to, yeah to that's be able true. To step down and yeah. say, "Hey, this is uh, right." Yeah. So
0: was it was it that truly that you were you felt you were being too negative?
2: Uh I I thought it was going to become a problem on the show so I was really? like you know what I need to back off and the show needed to change anyway these guys oh, are better sure. than than I was so I, I had to throw these guys in and stuff but I I thought my negativity would have just cuz uh, the Star Wars fans that listen to like our podcast and others they, they love the, the enthusiasm and they sure. not they didn't want to be overly negative you got to be criti- your criticisms but you can't be overly negative negative. and well, I was for a while I was damaged
0: to say ah, the least and I had to it, walk away. It's like if you're talking about if you're doing a show about a sports team. Yeah. Yes, you want to be critical and, you know, look yeah. at what's wrong, but you can't can't be Yeah. nonstop. This is going to suck. Right. Yeah. So all right, well we'll have to get into why, <laughs> you know, the Je- the last Jedi threw threw off. I I posed this question before we started and I didn't you guys didn't answer me. <laughs> but before we go on, I want I should d- disclose that I loved the first three movies. I I was alive when, yeah, yeah, <laughs> when yeah. the first one came out. Right. I saw the first three at the theater, and I couldn't wait. I stood in line. I was like everybody else. I had yeah. the T-shirts. I was, I was in. Yeah. Then I saw the first of the prequel trilogies. Yeah. And Jar Jar Binks, I was out. And now and then I just never came back in, and it wasn't a militant stance or anything. Should I? Because I was always aware of the movies coming out. I'm aware of the the hype and the excitement about this last movie that's supposedly wrapping things up. Is it worth going back and getting back into it? I mean, obviously you're... you're (laughs) <laughs> You're a jaded audience to ask this, right? But, right. Yeah, I think Mike.
8: Know. Yeah, Mike's probably the best one to ask uh, that question. Yeah. I would
0: say, yeah,
2: I had like a John Wick moment where I was saying, "Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back." When I heard the cackle of the Emperor in the in the yeah. trailer and stuff, and my buddy Joe that was next to me he said, "Oh, your man's back. Your, your guy's back." Because the Emperor is like one of my favorite characters in, okay. uh, and stuff. So. I was just – I didn't even see this coming out of left field. You know, he does the cackle, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's the Emperor. And I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking I'm, I'm back into this now. So I'm very excited because now yeah. there's a lot of speculation, a lot of things going on. And with The Last Jedi, for me at least,
7: it was just like, eh, what, what are we doing here? And I, th- I think this movie is really – it's going to be a shot in the arm, right, in okay. terms of the fandom. There were a lot of things that go in – both even in 7 and 8 that as really hardcore fans – You kind of miss, right? We didn't really see a lot of like R2 and C3PO. Right. You've got somebody like J.J. Abrams, who's a great steward of of this franchise. Yeah. And he's already committed that he is trying to really hit on all three of those generations that we spoke about, really give everybody something to kind of buy in. Because, again, he is really trying to wrap up this whole saga. You know, one of the things that we talked about that was kind of an emotional moment for me is before we saw that teaser trailer, we were privy to some behind-the-scenes footage that had really never been seen before uh, for those of us that were in the uh, auditorium over here at Wintrust. And it was in that moment that it dawned on me that this is the end, right? right? We're not – this is the end of something that I – like you, I saw it at at a drive-in. I didn't even get to see it at a theater. But I saw it at a drive-in, and we were finally coming to an end. And you could tell, based on that footage alone, that – Abrams has something in mind, and and I'm going to go on record as saying that I think he really is going to try to pull in, whether you you like the trilogy, uh, the original trilogy, or hated it, or liked the prequel trilogy, or hated it, I think he's going to give everybody something to kind of latch onto and really kind of bring this whole incredible saga to an end.
0: I've got the guys from the Cantina cast here. Albert Padilla is the host. Chris Jonesy-Jones is the co-host. And Mike Rondo is the producer Uh, there. We're going to talk when we come back. We want to talk about what was going on over at the McCormick Place. The Star Wars Celebration is in town through tomorrow at McCormick Place. If you have a Star Wars-related question, I know Roger is chomping at the bit. (laughs) Uh, If you have a Star Wars-related question, 312-981-7200. That's the phone. That's text. You can get your questions in. We will talk more about the Star Wars universe. On the other side, it's 720 WGN. The uh, guys from Cantina Cast are here. Albert Padilla is the host. Chris Jonesy-Jones is the co-host. Mike Rondeau is the producer. You can uh, follow them on Twitter at Cantina Cast. They're on Instagram and Facebook, all at The Cantina Cast. Uh, they are part of the Ear Glue Media Podcast Network, so uh, you should listen. Uh, you guys have been. I, it's hard to believe because I podcasting since 2011, uh, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. So congratulations Thank on you. that. All right, let's talk, before we get more uh, into the Star Wars universe, and Roger, I know, Roger, do you have a question at this point? Because I know you're being very good. I know you're like, a, he's like a puppy in there. I see him <laughs> running around in a circle. He he wants to get involved because he loves Star Wars. Did you have a question to this point?
6: Uh, yes, I did. Um, <laughs> right. You should ask. funny you should ask. Yeah, all right. All right, so you guys brought up that there were issues that a lot of Star Wars fans had issues with The Last Jedi, that it felt like it started to go off the rails as far as uh, the entire Star Wars world and, and what it was set up to be, and that we were starting to get into stories that just didn't make sense, mm. and that J.J. Uh, Abrams has said, um, probably in code or whatever... <laughs> Uh, that uh, nine will bring everything back to where it should be. What do you got to say about that? Comment?
7: Well, uh, Mike Rondo, please uh, meet wow. Roger. Roger, Mike Rondo, this is a. Uh... Uh, I, I don't took
0: you know how hostile tone. Yeah, yeah well, I, Honestly, <laughs> I don't
2: know how he was I, going before we saw the trailer. I was like, I don't know how you're going to tie all this in together, right. especially in my point of view with with the Last Jedi not being so well. I guess you mm-hmm. could say. Uh, I get where Ryan was going, he had a, a vision, I just think it was poorly executed, I've said it a million times, but, <laughs> you know, then I saw the trailer, I'm like, okay, alright, I'm back in, you, you sold me on it, but I still, you know, I felt that way about The Last Jedi, when I saw the trailer for The Last Jedi, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm in, oh, it's great, right? and then you see the movie, and so now I'm a little cautious now that it's been a few days, but... uh I think he'll be able to pull it off. I'm still curious how he's going to do all that, yeah. Yeah. especially with Carrie Fisher passing. How are you going to work that in? Right. Uh, they use an old footage from right. The Force Awakens, so I don't know how they're going to do that. So there's a lot of, you know, I have questions about the story, but I also have questions about their technique. How How is this all going to work? How are we all going to tie that in and put a bow on it and say, that's it?
0: Well, somebody texted in, how do you think the Emperor survived? Is he just a Sith Force ghost? Hmm,
7: so... Not to get too nerdy here, but yeah, technically so
0: so up until now, technically
7: speaking, the Sith have actually never been able to be Force Ghosts, right? It was only the Jedi. That was a power that was reserved for the Jedi.
0: Thank you for tell- thank you for looking at me and saying it to me like I know any of those words. <laughs> Thank you, Albert. but, but more recently that.
7: So more recently, and Jonesy, I'll let you kind of speak this a little bit too, but more recently in the comic books, because he's our canon now, comic books right. are canon, uh, we had a character named Momin who was able to kind of take his life force and suspend it temporarily, right? His physical body was gone, but he was able to temporarily suspend it. So while not technically a force ghost, he was able to kind of live on and was able to have a physical form later on in the book. Yeah, and to be brief about it, basically a, a powerful event happened so he he, yeah, he imbued into an
8: object, and so it could be very plausible that with Palpatine, the Death Star exploded not long after right. he was tossed down the shaft, and it might be a very, very long shaft, so <laughs> yeah. a lot of time passed, oh, right? A lot, of time, oh, passed, right? A lot of time passed while he's <laughs> on the way down. All right. So it's plausible that some piece of him is is somewhere imbued, and we got to see a beautiful picture of the Death Star, what was left of it, uh, on some planet, presumably, Endor. you know, probably on Force Move Endor, but... Yeah, so it's entirely possible we've got something along those lines of we can borrow from the comic to see Ooh. what's going to be in the movie.
0: All right. And do you find, as with with any uh, big franchise, there's a million conspiracy theories? Has <laughs> there been one that maybe, maybe somebody who's a subscriber to the podcast or one that you guys came up with that was just so far-fetched, you almost had to glom onto it because it was so crazy, it had to be true?
7: Oh uh, wow!
2: Uh, I don't I, not to my knowledge off the top of my head. I can It was they're prob- all crazy, really. Yeah. yeah, at the end of the day, <laughs> sure. I mean, everything we I had. come up with is. I think with as well.
7: with the Last Jedi, the who was Snoke yeah. theories
2: we're, trying- were probably
7: completely over the top, and we had. I mean, some of them were just ludicrous at times, right? Jar Jar Binks was, was Snoke, <laughs> right? So yeah. that was probably more up your alley, but That's rude. uh, yeah. yeah, we really haven't had a whole lot here. I think um, you know, we the, maybe the craziest one that we've had that recently with Rey, the main character, was okay. that maybe that she was the reincarnation of somebody like Palpatine or the reincarnation of somebody like uh, Anakin. You know, yeah. Anakin, right, exactly. Another oh. another coming of the Chosen One, right? Okay. So uh, we don't have anything really to, to kind of go off of that as being uh, canon or true, but it is interesting to think about whether or not that is pa- plausible.
0: Well, it's strange. The, the very minute... Amount of information I know about this. You brought that. Is she the reincarnation? Did did the trailer give any hints? When you hear the voiceover of Luke Skywalker telling her all the ten thousand years of knowledge or whatever is now, and I'm paraphrasing, is in you, and now it. So.
7: Yeah. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Uh, it really, <laughs> it kind of stems from the fact that you have a character like Rey, who was really just your average scavenger running around in a on a desert planet, and suddenly right. she became this force, literally a force of power, uh, it seemingly overnight. And we only know that to to really have happened one time in the existence, really, of, of Star Wars mythology, and that was with Anakin Skywalker. So you have this second coming, you have this great manifestation of power, so naturally you could draw a line between the two and say, okay, well, maybe this is either a second chosen one or the reincarnations. And that's kinda of where where the where it originally stemmed from
0: all right this is it's fascinating stuff there's a lot of lore we've got a lot more to talk about the guys from the cantina cast are here you can hear the cantina cast on ear media they are part of that podcast network you can follow them at the cantina cast on twitter instagram facebook albert padilla is the host chris jonesy jones is the co-host and mike rondeau is the producer want to talk more about the podcast we want to talk we will talk about the star wars celebration but we keep it there there's so much in the uh, the canon of star wars to talk about and of course you have questions. We will even let Roger ask another question. Then, uh, please, by all means, jump in. Uh, now, we got about a minute before the news. Now, Mike, did you start the podcast? Yes, I did. So yeah. you started and you were by yourself. No, I had a, another co, another yes, host. Yes. And then you decided your uh, your attitude had gotten a little negative, a little bit, just a little. So how then did you <laughs> find Albert and Chris? Uh, we have a Discord channel, and uh, that's where I met Albert.
2: And Albert was interested in podcasting, and he kind of it kind of just happened. Okay. Uh, same with thing with Chris and, you know, we had common interests and it just we all meshed and and that's
7: the way it went, and then yep. now here we are. There's a high level of lunacy that you have to have in order <laughs> yeah. to be on the show. <laughs> yes, I'm, and, yeah, yeah. I'm, not,
0: I'm getting that. Yeah,
7: so both Jones and I met that criteria, and that was really the <laughs> oh, aside from the the George Lucas look like. Uh, so yeah,
0: well,
8: yeah I yeah. checked
7: that box. Yeah, so we were good. And it was dumb luck that we were both in Texas
8: too. He's over in Austin. I'm in Houston. Okay, and it, yeah, it was just kind of odd that that worked out that way. Yeah,
0: very nice. Now this, is, and I know there are people out there listening who are like, uh, this is not you know we don't we don't care about Star Wars. Star Wars is are you surprised at all how big a cultural impact these movies and this whole culture has taken you know uh, yeah. it, because even even if you're not a fan you're aware of star wars you're aware. Now you're aware that there's a new trailer out, even if you don't know anything about the movies because it was on the news. It's in the newspapers. It's it's everywhere. Does that surprise you at all?
7: I I don't think so. I, I look at the success of the movies. I look at the uh, strategic efforts that they have take, the very conscious efforts that they've taken to make Star Wars inclusive. Mm-hmm. And they've really thrown this large net now, uh, whether you're talking about movies, music. Comic books, TV shows, right? The the merchandising. I mean, we had a uh, we had a, ca- a cartoon just at the very end of last year that was called Forces of Destiny that was really aimed towards daughters like mine that were of three yeah. or four years old, right? So they've really gone to painstaking efforts to to kind of cast this wide net, bring a lot of people in. So as is it as popular as it should be? I I think so, given what they've done so far. Absolutely.
0: On the other side of the news, we're going to talk more about that, the inclusion and uh, how that has changed in the Star Wars universe and how it is reflected. The culture as a whole. So we'll talk more about that. Albert Padilla is here. Chris Jones is here. And Mike Rondeau, they are the group from the Cantina cast If you have a Star Wars question, 312-981-7200. Watch for Chicago's very own stories with Mike and Joe, Micah Mateer and Joe Donlin, Weeknights on WGN-TV News at 9. It's 6.30. That means it's time for the news. This report is sponsored by Penny Mustard Furnishings. With the news, a man who came in on an X-Wing fighter. He's very excited. It's Roger Baddish. A huge cultural phenomenon is taking place at McCormick Place this weekend. It is the Star Wars celebration. The big news to come out of the Star Wars. Wars celebration! The trailer for Star Wars Episode Nine: Rise of Skywalker. It was met, uh, from what I saw on the news, it was met with huge response. Everybody on social media is screaming about it. People are all excited, especially my guests, who are the uh, the cast and men behind the Cantina cast. Albert Padilla is the host, Chris Jones is the co-host, and Mike Rondo is the producer. Uh, you can follow the Cantina cast on Twitter at the Cantina cast. They're on Instagram, Facebook, and if you go to EarGlueMedia.com, they are part of the EarGlue Media Podcast Network. Uh, Cody, a big podcaster, so he he loves when podcasters do well. Don't you go to your view? You're always excited to uh, see fellow podcasters make the grade. All right, let's talk about what's going on over there because, I only know what's happening at the Star Wars celebration because of newspaper coverage and seeing things on the news and my friends who are Star Wars fans, as I mentioned, everything social media this weekend. Everybody's at uh, the Star Wars. Uh, so obviously, one of the was the unveiling of the trailer the biggest event of the weekend. Um, would, would that be the the highlight? Would you I, say? I think it, for yeah. me
7: it was. I mean, there's probably no doubt. But they've had some others uh, that have been pretty big as well. Okay. Uh, like The Mandalorian, which is a new T V show that's coming out on the Disney Plus Network. Uh, we don't have a lot of details around it, but it's about a Mandalorian and kinda of set in this Western samurai style setting. Okay. Um, and it's just it was uh electric. That that, that stadium was, really, was electric yeah. when they showed the trailer. So.
0: so it's it's panel is it how is it like other Comic book or or uh, film conventions, and how is it different?
7: Yeah, it's uh, it's unreal in terms of size, right? Uh, when we were at the celebration stage, which is the main stage to watch the episode nine trailer, I mean, we were there with ten thousand other fans. I mean, it was the, all the way up into the rafters, right? The cheap seats or the bleed, nosebleed section was completely full. Uh, there's lightsabers everywhere, so that's kind of a big differentiator between yeah. that and you know this convention and others. Um, and then just the number of people, I, I think we're there is a, a a very eclectic group of folks now It's Star Wars. It really is for everyone at this point, yeah. and you see everyone from you know small children to you know people our age and even older. Right? Uh, it's just it's a great environment to be in and just kind of be in that mix of, of folks.
0: Christopher Borelli had a big piece in the uh, Tribune today about that about inclusion and how the the old image of the Star Wars or Star Trek or any any kind of fan is kind of, you know, the white guy sitting in his basement watching this stuff. And then we hear reports of, you know, somebody being cast and the Internet going crazy and just being horrific to them. Star Wars has made a big push, as you've said, Albert, to try to uh, open the tent and bring everybody in. But it's been kind of a slow process. Um what do you see what do you see now? You mentioned the t-shirts and the slogans and stuff, but there's there's small niche groups of fans now that may not have felt the ability to to attend a conference like this before, right?
7: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we see it and uh, it I think it's really it goes back to just how open they are with a lot of this media that they've done, right uh, if you look at the storylines, they're very I wouldn't say edgy. But they're certainly not where this, the same storylines that we were getting, you know, in the early late '70s, early '80s. Uh they're, they are. They're trying to be inclusive in these stories themselves, even the characters themselves, in some of the the media, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, in the books, they're they're bringing same sex relationships and things like that into it. So it's a.
8: It, they're easing some of it into it a bit to, I don't know, get people used to it. But yeah. right. at the same time, it's just it, it's showing that it's normal. That right. These things that they're in our society as well, and we have to figure out how to deal with them. So it's part of Star Wars, and so we. Have to kind of understand how's it going to work within the Star Wars universe, and they're just, and they have T-shirts. We were talking, I think, in the break. You know, they've got T-shirts. It's for everyone. And what's wrong with having more fans for Star Wars and having yeah. different perspectives? Because we're going to get amazing stories. And, and at the end of the day, that's what the three of us always want. We want amazing stories that that you know spur our imagination and want us to learn more and to be able to get into the fandom and and get into this universe. You know, even more than what we do today. Yeah, I,
7: I, and I think I'm I'm of the opinion that. Honestly, Star Wars fans have always been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, Disney has gone and done such a he- great effort, right? Kathleen Kennedy and Disney have done a great effort to really try to include everybody. Uh, and I think what we're seeing is that normalization, right? The fandom is starting yeah. to normalize a lot, and, and we definitely see that. We saw it on the floor, and you see it now just about anywhere. You, Star Wars is just something that's, that's part of our pop culture here yeah. in America, right? And really all over the world.
0: Yeah, it definitely is three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Kathy wants to jump in on the inclusion uh, aspect as well. Hi, Kathy.
4: Hi, everyone. Yeah, I saw the first Star Wars back in the seventies. My boyfriend dragged me there. It was at the Square <laughs> Theater on, on Oak Street, and I loved it. Uh, then I kind of lost interest. I do love Harrison Ford though. When The Force Awakens came out two years ago, I'm like, I'm in because of Harrison Ford, mm. and I, I fell in love with. Of the franchise again. I, anything with Daisy Ridley, Oscar Isaac, Adam Driver, I'm in. I happened to see the trailer by by happenstance uh, when it was released over the internet, and um, looks fantastic.
0: So I'm there. I'm in. So do you was was part of your coming back in? Not just Harrison Ford, but now that there's a strong female lead driving the franchise, was that was that part of what uh, pulled you back?
4: Absolutely. She's phenomenal. I'm so glad. I'm so glad for that yeah. to have a heroine. It's yeah. fantastic. It
0: was something
7: we needed. I mean, we had Leia, right? Thanks, but Leia, Kathy. Leia really wasn't at the forefront. It was. It was kind of Anakin's story. It was Darth Vader's story. It was Luke's story. But she was there, and she was right. probably the most. Like, you know, she was the 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 North Definitely Baring, iconic. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she was just written so incredibly well. Uh, but this is the first time getting somebody like Ray, and and my daughter is absolutely in love with Ray. She doesn't, you know, care for Luke or Leia. It's Ray. It's, it's all about Ray. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think she speaks for a number of other women at, at every, various age levels. Honestly,
0: I was going to say because it's not just the young generation. It's it's maybe women who just have felt there wasn't really a character for me. Uh somebody texted in from the 912. Uh, uh, Speaking of inclusion, why do you think that Star Trek is more well known as being inclusive than Star Wars and Star Wars not as much? Is it the more socially conscious aspect of the utopian society versus a space opera and then they put don't judge me I'm listening while working on lesson plans. <laughs>
8: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, when we when we look at Star Trek, Star Trek always had a number of alien species always around absolutely right they were always there in Star Wars it, they were more uh, background characters and so the main characters we focused on were humans and they typically were white humans until we got Billy D Williams, which of course was an amazing addition to the cast right We were super excited for him to be back into it but I, I think that was part of it is that he didn't have this really robust you know I don't know a, Template diverse of characters, yeah, yeah, diverse set of characters in order to do that with, and they they've brought some in over time, and that's nice, and that that's helped. But we haven't had any really take front and center stage yeah. like we have now with with Finn and with Poe and with uh, with Daisy really doing uh, with Rag. Yeah, I think
7: we're catching up. All right, it's, I think that's fair to say. Okay. Star Wars, I think, is catching up. I mean, you think about Star Trek, what it was what it was trying to do at that time was show inclusiveness, right? Mm-hmm. That was really one of the prime motivators for that. Yeah, TV Ray show. Bribery. it was important, absolutely. Yeah. And, well, was and Star Wars was
8: socially. Uh,
7: commentary,
2: really. Uh, yeah, Star- Roddenberry was times, really yeah. trying to. Yeah. Do yeah. A lot yeah, Star Wars is a mythology anyway, so right. it's a bit of a different. Yes, yeah. yeah,
7: they had different. I guess they were going in with different directives, right? What they were trying to, what they were trying to accomplish, the stories they were trying to get hold of, and I think, uh, you know, again, Disney has consciously made a great decision. They've made some great strides in really trying to catch up, and I think we're getting there now. I won't say we're complete, but having somebody like Ray in that in that main role is a huge start.
1: If I could jump in real quick. Sure. If that's okay. On the Star Trek uh, front, I just watched every episode of Star Trek, the original series. Oh, wow. (laughs) And uh, I'm halfway into the first season of Next Generation, all of which I've seen before. Which is the only one to watch, really, Next (laughs) Generation, if you ask me. It's very true. I've heard a lot of good things about Deep Space Nine, but we'll get there. Uh, But, you know, I would add to that um, kind of specifically, really, the story of Star Trek is about sociology. Like, really, the plot of every episode centers Mm -hmm. around how is this culture different and what caused this culture to be different, and how do we interact with that? And in that way, it's already inherently kind of diverse that way yep. whether the skin color looks the same or not I mean maybe they land right. on a planet that's right. run by women and they say oh this is different like how do we interact with that um, so they're always showing that different perspective so even kind of woven into the fabric of what the stories are trying to say uh, it's different than, than Star Wars where you can represent different races and, and genders and uh, have a lot of aliens and stuff but the fundamental story underlying Star Wars uh, is, is you know either a war story or a, or a space opera or a, you know uses a lot of archetypes and stuff. So uh, I think there's a little fundamental difference there, too.
8: Yeah. yeah.
0: Cody standing up for Roddenberry. Good <laughs> well, for you. Well, even Star
8: Trek had to take a bit of an evolution with the newer movies, though, right? Sure. Yeah. They they had to, like, Ohura was a bit of a sex symbol of sorts. And now she's a total, you know, bad, you know what. <laughs> so, yeah, right. you
0: know. Somebody texted, and in, in, uh, Mike, maybe this is up your alley. Maybe this is why uh, The Last Jedi. I don't know. <laughs> we'll uh, see. The one thing that you're not addressing with episodes one to three is the particularly bad acting that came from both well, actors who portrayed Anakin Skywalker. That's why I can't stand those movies. That's from a texter in the 219.
2: Well, I think that you can't blame the actors on that. That was George doing that style that he grew up with back in the day. It was that wooden dialogue. And the problem, I think, that happened is that the actors don't know how to do that now. Okay. The more... The way they, they do it, it's different from what it was back then, what George grew up on. Because he was trying to make those Sunday Old afternoon serial movies. movies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So he wanted it to be that wooden and kind of direct thing. I get I get the criticism with the, the prequels. I, I see it, but I like them. Okay. I just happen to like them. Uh, the Last Jedi, not so much. But... Um, <laughs> I had to All get right, my we gotta, but, yeah we got to
0: ask well you've been bringing this up so uh,
2: yeah. what is the pro- what's what was your problem with the last jedi I just think it was just executed poorly I don't I don't think the way Luke was treated and you know being the dejected hero and then when I watch, like return of the jedi and then I see Luke in that I, it just doesn't sync up for me Okay um I'm I've, I've gotten better with it over the year I've, I'm getting better uh, I've accepted it more the trailer helped a lot the other day so uh, All right. Yeah.
0: Well, Speaking of the trailer okay. Chris is in Kankakee And he has a, a theory or a question about a theory Hi Chris
5: Hey good evening uh, My question is During the trailer Luke Skywalker is heard saying No one's ever really alone I'm just wondering if you guys think Maybe that's a precursor That there's a new direction Star Wars is going Or a new heroes That Star Wars is going for the next series
7: Yeah, well, the the uh, the the quote is actually uh, no one's ever really gone, right? And and yeah, yeah, and that's really kind of coming back to what he said at the very end of the Last Jedi, right? Right. Uh, He was kind of referring to Han at that time. Uh, In a lot of ways, we know today that he is probably referring to himself. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think we are going to get Luke Skywalker in the in Episode Nine. Now, whether or not he's a physical manifestation of Force Ghost or maybe just a a voice in Ray's head, but I think we are going to see him there but I think what they were trying to do really more than anything with that trailer and that quote was set up the fact that we were about to hear that cackle and that the Uh, Emperor himself is never really truly gone, right? This great evil, the the greatest evil that we've ever known in Star Wars uh, uh, history is now back. And I think that sets the stage for these new group of infant-type characters that they're going to have to deal with, which is going to be super
0: exciting. All right, let's take a quick break and then a few more minutes. The guys from the Cantina Caster here, Albert Padilla, Chris Jones, and uh, Mike Rondo. Uh, If you have any more questions, 312-981-7200. And I got to – you guys are so entrenched in this cultural phenomenon – there is another cultural phenomenon that is happening tonight. Uh, I want to know if you have any thoughts on that. We uh oh we must talk a little Game of Thrones before um, we uh, before we get out of here. <laughs> uh, we'll do all of that and more Star Wars on the other side. It's WGN. Uh, the guys Sh- from The Cantina Cast are here. If you are a Star Wars aficionado, you need to subscribe to the podcast. You can uh, find them at media.com. That's the podcast network. You can also follow the guys on all the social media channels at The Cantina Cast on twitter they're on instagram they're on facebook and they're here with us on wgn all right roger uh being very nice tonight uncharacteristically you can d- this is how uh this is how <laughs> odd he is by you guys being here and the discussion of star wars roger is uh, being polite and saying, can i please ask a question and what kind of man would i be if i said no i would be as evil as the emperor and i would just cackle with delight, yes, Roger. What is your question?
6: All right, this is for each of you. This has also been a, a point of serious and contentious debate amongst mm-hmm. uh, various shows right. on WGN Radio. Oh. So let's say that I am—I've uh, got a young person just wanting to get into the Star Wars uh, universe, mm-hmm. and I have uh, eight movies that yep. they need to watch. Do I start the following way: four, five, six, one, two, three, seven, eight? Or do I go one through eight? So Ooh. that is a
7: great question. This comes up quite a I can't bit. Believe actually, believe you right such
0: a great question, right? uh,
7: So I did a social experiment with my children. Uh, not that
0: long <laughs> ago. <laughs> well, that's accurate, them, right? Was right. like a clockwork orange where you yeah their exactly yeah <laughs> strap them in. You're going for a ride,
7: kids. Uh, I did this exact experiment, and with with my oldest kids, I tried to do four, five, six, one, two, three uh, from that, and that didn't work so well. Oh. He was so keen on the fact that the visual effects weren't as good as what he's used to. Oh right, right yeah. So I had a, a second. I had a uh, a second try with my younger children. Now, and... did you
0: have the children just for this experiment? Yes. In fact, yeah, one okay. of them is named Luke. Uh, right, so perfect. yeah, he was uh,
7: <laughs> born and bred for this. Uh, and I did one, two, three, four, five, six, and that was easier for them to accept because the special effects are a lot better. Jar Jar Binks, believe it or not, and you're not oh, little like
0: kids, it. no, little kids they, loved Jar they Jar loved Binks. They loved him. They absolutely they loved
7: him. So yeah, and so I think what worked for my family was one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. But your mileage may vary. I don't know. Did,
0: did you, they? Did they? When they got to the uh, four, five, and six, and suddenly they went from the better special effects and visuals. To the, you know, 1970s, did that throw them off?
7: I don't think so. And I think it was because they uh, saw Vader at the very end of th- the third movie. Right. And that was a that was their connected tissue right between ah, the two okay. sequels. So okay. I think for them it was a little bit easier, a little bit more uh, palpable for them.
0: All right.
8: Yeah. I'm still a purist. I still like four, five, and six first just because that's the way that they were done. Yeah. And, and there's no really – I have no social experiment. My daughter is not really a huge Star Wars fan. She likes Rey and she likes Princess Leia. That's about it. Wow. Oh. <laughs> I've not been able to crack the code. And you so. still
0: let her live in the house? Yeah, well,
8: yeah, the wife has some opinion on See, that, apparently. Yeah. yeah,
0: his wives do that. <laughs> Mike? Uh, mine was... You're, you're going to say just watch seven of the eight anyway. Yeah, well, yes,
2: <laughs> that's right. true. Well, actually, I'll say a little bit more. I, I <laughs> With my daughter, it it's funny because I tried... She's seven. She's going to be eight next month. I tried to get her into the original, and for some reason, she was young. She was maybe four at the time. She wasn't... It wasn't latching on, and I didn't want to push it on her. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll leave it be. Whatever happens, happens. But because we had Netflix, she flipped on the Clone Wars one day, and she just fell in love with the Clone Wars, and that the was TV her. series. Yeah, oh, the TV animated. series. Yes, and, and so that was her gateway into Star Wars. And now she asks me a question every five seconds. And then she got into because uh, she watched the Clone Wars, she went into one, two, and three, and then she watches uh, Rogue One, which is the other film that came out, and uh, so forth, and Solo as well. So she likes all of all of them so now she goes yeah. right through it huge success yeah so yeah it worked out the force well for is strong in your family
0: though yeah
6: that
2: is so, true
0: wow. Yes. wow so roger no definitive answer everybody's got a thing is yes. this something that you're going through with the grandchildren oh no no uh,
6: right. grandchildren are are not into uh, star wars uh, they have their they not own, yet uh, well i mean they're old enough to be able to to deal with it <laughs> i haven't pushed it on them um, I'm, you know, I tried a couple of years ago try to get them started on Harry Potter. That didn't connect. Mm, oh boy.
3: Uh,
6: yeah, they they are into their own things. And
0: Paw Patrol. What do they watch? Uh, no, I not Paw Patrol. Into Patrol. That they, for a while. <laughs> they they oh, like man. that one with the uh,
6: you know the um, uh, the Monster High School.
2: Oh, my daughter loves that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they God. were into
6: <laughs> that for a long
8: time. It's <laughs> how uh, we all have girls. Yeah, and, yeah, all have
6: yeah, all girls. And so, by the way, if anyone's looking for toys from that series since they have Rogers now moved on, right. let me know.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, what is your as as we, as we wrap up, because Karen Conti is going to come in. I don't right. know if she is a Star Wars uh, aficionado or not. What are your predictions? After seeing the trailer, give me a quick, a quick prediction of what people will see December 20th.
7: I think we're going to see a, a level of um, finality here in terms of this. Uh, we've had a lot of open-ended questions. I think we're going to get some very solid answers to some things. I think some things are still going to go unanswered. So don't go in with the high expectations here. But I really think we're going to find a way. I think we really are going to see all of this kind of come together cohesively now, all nine movies. All
8: right. Yeah, I agree. I Chris, think I think that's what everybody wants to see, and J.J. Abrams is committed to doing that. And I think you're not going to find someone who cares about this stuff any more than he does.
2: Mike? I think it'll be a satisfying ending. Very nice. Because Je- you know, The Last Jedi is still, you know, a
0: bit of taste. Well, oh, thank you so, so much. So we have a
7: shirt for you, too. Very uh, nice. With our own Chicago logo here on the Cantina Cast. We'd ah, like to give you this. cool.
0: Thank you very much. So we'll give you
7: the, uh, out there a little that bit
0: is That is yeah. terrific.
7: Thanks for having us. Yeah.
0: Guys, listen, uh, you you need to listen to the Cantina Cast if you are a Star Wars fan. You can follow them on social media at the Cantina Cast. They're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Go to EarGlueMedia.com to subscribe to the cast. Guys, thanks for coming in. Enjoy. Thank you for having if us. If you're going to be you. around for Thank the next day. I know you got a, an event tonight. It was a pleasure meeting you. Karen Conti is here. Karen, do you, uh, were, do you remember seeing Star Wars? Did you see Star Wars when it first came out?
9: Well, sure I did, but, uh, you know, I, I'm more of a reality person, you okay. know? This fantasy stuff is just... No. That sounds you know, like I'm, my I'm wife.
0: good, good hard <laughs> reality. Like <laughs> you want a drama? You don't want a guy with a lightsaber and a robe?
9: Not so much. <laughs> Alright,
0: well, let's... So... Now, what I gotta ask all for you then The other big cultural event tonight Game of Thrones is back I, I know you don't watch Game of Thrones
9: Well I, I can't tonight Because you're here got, you have got a radio show well, well, I, don't, <laughs> but I, I, am I don't know play... you've
0: heard about this they, they, You can record things
9: Yes now. I know But cool. we're going <laughs> to play That's the exciting. Game of Phones
0: well, get... uh, yeah. And people are
9: going to call in from 8 to 9 With legal questions And
0: game it's the oh, Game exciting. of Phones Game of yeah. Phones very yes. nice. Do you guys have room in your uh, nerdery There's, for another one? No okay. My, I'm tapped out on nerdism
7: There's too much there Yeah
0: so you're going to do Game of Phones. People always get to ask you uh, great legal advice. What else you got on the show Well, tonight? Brian,
9: I, I have a guest that's going to be talking about the Lincoln assassination. Some of the fun facts of the Lincoln assassination. There are fun facts, there, I have a state, <laughs> Illinois state historian, and there's some very interesting facts. But can I just tell you, yes. I saw this. I don't know if you caught it. Men with beards, they say in this study that was released last week, carry more germ germs than dogs.
0: Really, Jones. Oh. That's why I shaved off mine.
9: Kissing a dog than you are kissing a man with a beard, and I know you just grew a beard, and I just want to give you this well, article. No, I shaved
0: it off because, well, this is just this is just I didn't shave today. Oh uh, <laughs> no, now,
9: I thought that was the remnants <laughs> no. of the, the no, no, bugs. No, I, I got guess it. No, this please. is a really alarming. Really? You got some beards yeah, here. Uh, Chris, you yeah, read? you know what? It's you very important to you really have to look beard, at this. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, do you wash your beard? Absolutely. Do you disinfect it? (laughs) I don't know about (laughs) disinfecting, yeah. (laughs) Keep the lice out of there. So (laughs) I've never heard it put quite this way, but we'll learn the fun facts of the Lincoln assassination. (laughs) That is true. Uh, That is true. (laughs) All right, that's all coming up with Karen Conti on the other side of the news. Thank you, Karen. Always a pleasure. Thank you again, the guys from the Cantina cast, uh, Albert Padilla, Chris Jones, and Mike Rondeau. Uh, We will talk to you again next week after the White Sox Ah, here, everyone's favorite weatherman, Tom Skilling. Weekday afternoons at 4 on the Rocon Show with Anna DeVlantes on 720 WGN Chicago. Smart speaker users, just say play WGN Radio on TuneIn. The news is sponsored by Cars for Kids. It is 7 o'clock on the nose. What do you think of that, Roger Badish?
6: I think you've got a nice nose.